So let's begin the final, dis final portion on our, our discussion on um, nursing care of, of the, hmm? the client with, with diabetes. And as you can imagine um, from, our, from our discussion, there's a lot of nursing diagnoses to consider. So I listed them, listed them up here. And we can talk a bit, little bit about them. Let's see. Let me just let me see how much. Okay. With altered skin integrity, what's the etiology of the alteration in skin integrity? Gene. Right, circulation problems. So, so what's what? Where in your skin is it more? Are you more likely to see problems? What part of your body? Jen. No. Jonathan. In your feet, and why is that? It's furthest. From, it's furthest away. The circulation tends to be worse there, and and combined with. What other what other problem causes the this the circu, uh, the skin problems? Bryce, right. The loss in sensation means so you've got the neuropathy combined with the altered circulation. So it's those two things together, and that particularly is why the feet are are involved. So it's so keep keep that in mind that whenever you have somebody with diabetes, what kinds of things could you be doing as a nurse? Should you be doing as a nurse? You're taking care of. Uh, let's say an elderly person with either type 1 or type 2 diabetes in relation to skin, skin integrity. What kind of things do you want to be doing? Right, you want to be assessing. Really make sure that you are looking at their, at their skin. You want to be taking any socks off, any shoes they have off, and you want to be looking at that. You want to be looking at the circulation, looking to see if there's any ulceration, and um, seeing if they're taking, and, and also be as asking them what kind of questions about foot care. kind of things would you want to find out from them? Hmm? Yeah, what kind of sh are they what shoes are they wearing? Do they always do they, you know, do they wear them? Uh, there's a lot of people wear inappropriate shoes, you know, vanity sometimes uh, gets the better part uh, of them and so they're wearing shoes that are really are not not good for them to be to be wearing. What else? Shoes is good. What other things to ask them? Right, right. Are you in the habit of inspecting your feet regularly? You want to make sure that they get into the habit of looking. It's something that sometimes a lot of us grow up never really thinking about looking at our feet all that, all that often. So they need to start getting into that, that habit. What other things could you ask them? Liz. Right, nail care, what do you do? You want to make sure that they know that they need to be very careful about it, that they just can't go willy-nilly uh, snipping, snipping away, uh, that they can cause, that they can cause damage, uh, if they cut, particularly if they, if they cut the nail too, too close. Anything else you'd want to ask? 
Use your imaginations. What kind of what kind of other things? Think back to the foot care slides. What kinds of things would you want to see if your patient was was doing or not? You already hit on some. Good question. Good. Uh, are you going to a podiatrist? Uh, they should have see if they if there's depending on what what setting they're living in. If they're in a, in a um, an assisted living uh, setting, very often podiatrists will make regular regular rounds. Um, risk for infection. You know, we talked about this as um, something that they the etiology is not completely understood but we do know there are certain kind of infections that people are at risk for, and what would those be? What would be? It's in your notes. <laughs> All infections. Yeah, and particularly what kind of infections? Nail infections. Nail infections. Osteomyelitis. Osteomyelitis. There's, a, you know, there's not a lot we can do to prevent osteomyelitis. But what's another one that's listed there? Gingivitis, so how can you help with that? Good flossing, good brushing, mouthwash, good. What's another one that's there that they could do something about? UTI, right, and how would they do, and what can they do for UTI prevention? Stay well hydrated and be careful with long baths, too. You get a lot of soap, you put a lot of soap in the water, you can, that can increase uh, UTI risk. Um, risks for injury, what kinds of things can they, do they need to do there? What are some of the injuries that they're at risk for? We just mentioned some of them, Ash. Right, checking the feet. And so in particular, because we know that there's a risk to injury to the feet, aside from just inspecting, we already talked about that, what kind of behaviors or activities can they do to help minimize that risk? Right, watch where you're walking, make sure you're not stubbing your toes on things because that can actually lead to an injury that may not heal. And we mentioned some other things before, what would some other things for foot care that people can engage in? Aside from the podiatrists and the inspection, what kind of actual actions can they do? Okay. Pardon? See if they have sensation. Right. And one of the problems is sometimes you don't know that you've lost sensation. We can check that. Right, and we can check that, but sometimes people aren't aware of themselves. So what kinds of things can they do themselves if there's not a nurse there to, to check? Hmm? Yeah, yeah. But what about, I'm thinking, I'm thinking more in terms of um, what, when you're, what kinds of things can you wear and your, and your activity? How, how should they alter? How should, how should your clothing and activities change? Jonathan? Right, you got to wear the right kind of shoes, and we told you there, you know, there's websites and even things that that sell shoes that are that are uh, more appropriate. And when it comes to activity, what do they need to do? 
scheduling rest periods. Yeah, they have to be very careful not to walk too far without stopping and checking and seeing that they're not getting any blisters, things like that. Some other things that are sometimes recommended are like uh, I've seen listed often is not to use electric blankets. Do you know why? It's another injury risk that, that uh, elderly diabetics sometimes face. What's wrong with an electric blanket? Yeah, they get burned. It gets actually so hot and they turn it up because they're not feeling the heat. So they crank it up to, you know, toaster oven and then they uh, turn into a little grilled cheese sandwich in there and they don't realize it because it's burning, it's burning parts of their, burning parts of their skin. Um, sexual dysfunction, um, there's little blue pills now at least to help for uh, somewhat. Um, but for all of these things that we've talked about, what's the one thing that we can do to also prevent? We haven't, nobody's talked about prevention yet. What, what are some, what, what's, the, what's the number one preventing action? Educate them about what? Educating them about the risks, that's right. And what can they do to prevent those problems from occurring? There's one action over your life that's most important. Chuck. Glucose monitoring. Glucose monitoring in, in, to do and with the idea of what? Right. Never letting them get out of control. The more you can prevent hyperglycemic episodes, the less likely you are to face these problems in your old age. Or if, you, if you're developing it, at a late age, that will also help prevent those complications from occurring. Because if you're 60, you can live another 20, 30 years. And if you maintain this, uh, maintain your blood glucose correctly as soon as you can, the likelihood of these things are, are less likely to, to occur. Yes, Katie. Uh huh. Right. Well, that, that, a teenager that says he doesn't like the way he feels at below 120, I wonder whether he's getting too. You know, maybe he was getting too low, rather than. He will have all. I mean, if he continues like that, at you know, at a much younger age in his adulthood, and it might take. Stop it. It might take until he was in his fifties um, or sixties, or but he's going to start to have complications, and you start to see. I mean, we we even saw in the high school population parents who had diabetes who were in their forties and fifties also having lots of problems, also being hospitalized a lot, and it's from their inability to um, to help. And that gets, you know, right here where what you said is you're, you're talking about somebody who's really not coping. Anybody who says, I feel better having my blood glucose in the 300s, I feel better, I think that's, a, that's kind of an ineffective coping mechanism is what you're seeing, seeing there. Um, with health maintenance, you know, remember we talked about the lifestyle, the fact that there's all the stuff you have to learn, these things about your behaviors that you have to change, things you have to do, things you have to think about before you ever, every time you leave the house, every time you take a vacation, you have to think about these things.
<clears throat> the list goes on. Um, as you could imagine, the anxiety that occurs early, early in diagnosis particularly, uh, fatigue that sometimes occurs just from uh, having, not having uh, adequate um, glucose. Um, people are, who are having trouble managing their, their care, that's, that label applies there, the ineffective management of therapeutic regimen. Uh, we talked about some of the um, neurovascular effects. Uh, if people get into hyperglycemic episodes too often, they get at risk for fluid deficit. And of course, one of the other ongoing issues is particularly for adult onset type 2 diabetes is really having too much weight. And the one thing that, that will help you uh, control your sugars is, is what with the type 2? What's the, first, what's the first treatment? Diet, Diet and exercise, those two things. Uh, if, you, if people do that um, the, the right way early, early in the diagnosis or, or when they begin to show that uh, glucose intolerance uh, or an insulin resistance, uh, they, can, they can reverse those effects and not face this other long list we see here. Um, we talked about, you know, we now, I think I mentioned there's a glucometer wristwatch now that's a, that, that can be sold. Uh, has anybody seen one of these in action? I haven't met any patients yet who actually own one. They're pretty expensive. But I think what we're seeing now with this is just like what I used to see 15 years ago with, when the glucometers were coming on. They were very expensive and not a lot of people had them. Uh, and then as the price went down, you see them more and more. The glucometers have a, have a replaceable um, these re um, disc that you put in there <clears throat> that periodically reads your glucose through the day. And it can be connected uh, to work with the insulin pump. I think I mentioned that. Inhaled insulin, I've mentioned that too. That is now available on the market. Um, and this is, again, to help relieve some of the stigma about having to inject yourself um, it, its efficacy has been shown, but there's a couple of problems. One is dosing. It's very hard to dose. And there's also still questions about long-term respiratory effects of, having, of using the inhaled insulin. And also, as I said, it, it's only eliminating half the painful parts of diabetes because you still have to check your, check your glucose. But if you could have a wristwatch and the inhaled insulin, you would never be sticking yourself for anything. So that would, that's kind of, kind of nice. Uh, some new drugs that are that are that are coming on online here. The Simlin um, is coming out, and it re seems to reduce insulin needs. People are talking about artificial pancreases and also more pancreas transplants. There's a good write-up in your in the Lewis textbook about the use of transplants. Uh, and there's also sometimes somebody's thinking that, and the Juvenile Diabetes Foundation is hoping that someday. If they can identify this, this autoimmune uh, function of, di of the onset of di type 1 diabetes, that they'll be able to create a vaccine that might prevent that from occurring. All right, let's, let's um, look at Bill here. 60 years old, type 2 diabetic, tells you his job requires him to eat at restaurants and have alcoholic drinks. He wonders if the pills will interfere with his drinking habits. So what are his educational needs? 
What does he need to learn? Katie. Alcohol, yeah, he's gotta be careful about alcohol consumption because that does, that, that will, that can affect and particularly alcoholic beverages that have, that use soda, use regular sugar soda in them, um, beers, things that have carbohydrates. And fruit, right. No, fruit juice, remember what's, what's the difference between fruit juice and soda? Different kind of sugar. You know, fruit juice is fructose. Um, so, you know, if you're going to have a drink, what would be a better, what would be preferable? Where's my bartenders? Club, yeah, club soda if you don't want to drink it out, if you're, you know, would probably be the best choice. <laughs> Screwdriver. What? That's orange juice, isn't it? Vodka and water, vodka on the rocks, whiskey straight up, gin and tonic. Now, no, and actually, what's wrong with tonic? Gin and club soda or gin and diet tonic, if you can get that. Tonic, tonic water has as much sugar as a Coca-Cola, if you look at the label. It's just as much sugar. It just doesn't taste as sweet because of the, because of the tonic. See, all of a sudden, I notice everybody now has better, more, more understanding of these things. Um, so, so spirits don't have as many carbs. And also the other issue is, is he needs to limit them. He still needs to limit them. You know, has to be careful about that. I think you need to elaborate a little bit more on why his job requires him to drink alcohol. Right. Yeah, definitely. That, that needs to be, be questioned. But, you know, it doesn't mean you can't drink, though. I mean, that's the issue. Is, you know, I don't want you to think well, people can't drink. But it's about making choices. And he's also in a restaurant. So what, aside, from, you, you all focused on the alcohol, but what else about being in a restaurant that he should, needs to be thinking about, too? Menu items. Menu items, you know. So do you get the plate of pasta or maybe a steak um, and vegetables? You know, making you can make better choices in the restaurant that 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 have uh, fewer fewer um, carbs. Making sure that he's not maybe hitting the dessert tray, and that 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 kind of thing. So he can still eat in the restaurant. He can still meet his clients. He can still do do things. It's just a matter of making some decisions, uh, maybe a little different than what he was used to. All right, Mary, 75, attending mass, uh, standing late in the mass. She collapses, pale, speaking incoherently, pulses thready but steady. Your husband says she's diabetic, didn't have breakfast. What's happening here? Most, most likely hypoglycemic episode. So what will we do for her? Liz? Give, give her some orange juice. Where did you find out of it to do that? Um, you're so good. Um, yeah, that would... <laughs> You're so smart. Um, yeah, so you're going for what, what's, the, what's the procedure then, hypo, hypoglycemia? We said the simple sugar with the, like an orange juice, then what? Get, no, not a meal yet. What? Right, a more complex carb like crackers, something like that. And then next would come... We would want her to again then go find something that's a little more substantial to bring her blood glucose back up. Yeah. 
okay? So the idea is, is that you give her a little bit of a hit so that she, so she's getting out of the dangerous hypoglycemic state, becomes a little more coherent, then she goes to the more complex carbohydrate so she can then um, maintain it and not just, have a, not just have a peak and then a drop, and then, the, and then the longer meal so that she has something to digest, and then we can check her blood glucose and she can get her insulin and all the other things that she, that she needs. What's, what's cooking in here? Do you smell something good? It smells good. <laughs> Somebody eating a sandwich or a hoagie? or. Do you smell it? Do you smell anything? No? I don't know. It smells good. Uh, you're a school nurse. What? Oh, she's reading it right in front of me. Of course. And you didn't offer me a bite. And I could smell those peppers. Oh, they're good. That's a good-looking sandwich. Pepper and egg sandwich. Right? Pepper and egg sandwich? Philadelphia treat. Yeah. People who eat dinner with me in the cafeteria know that not to eat something I like right in front of me. You know. um, seven-year-old John complaining of being thirsty, having to pee every hour. His teacher says he always seems tired. What thinks happening here? Elise? Hyperglycemic. What else do you think might be going on here? Yeah, this is because, remember, if you look at the item there, it doesn't say that he's diagnosed with diabetes. So very often at this age, when you start to hear somebody having this, these symptoms, you need to be thinking he's probably has, has acquired type 1 diabetes. And so what would you do? You could do a blood sugar test, too. That might help confirm that he's hyperglycemic. And what else? Yeah, go to the hospital. You need to call his parents and say he needs to go to the hospital now. And it's not wait till the end of the day or anything like that. This is this is a medical uh, emergency, and that's what he that's what he needs to do. Very good. So just to, just to finish up then on on um, diabetes. Uh, think about all your nursing roles with identification, being able to identify your you know with uh, folks. Kids de um, developing type one, and older, old, generally older people developing type two. How do you how do you identify that? Uh, the fact that you're going to be working in a in a team. Think about all the teaching that's that's involved, and and it focuses focuses on med administration, and then understanding the effects and lifestyle lifestyle changes, and then preventing of complications. And the number one thing to remember is try to minimize hyperglycemic episodes. Maintain a good blood glucose. So your blood glucose fasting before you eat should be what? 70 to 110. 70 to 110. Right? So a couple hours after you eat, what should your blood glucose be? A few hours after you've eaten. Hmm? No more than what? 
120, right, and then an hour, and, or, or, no, yeah, 120 a couple of hours after, an hour after it would be, it shouldn't be more than like 150. So if you're getting enough insulin, it, you shouldn't be seeing blood glucoses in the 300s and the 200s and all of that. That's still too, that's too high at that point. All right, very good. 